Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Unallocated number. Start. Trying telephone call. Cleared. Unallocated number. It's not good listening, this, is it? We'll lose some listeners in the middle of this bit. <laughs> Hello and welcome to The Ruck. Some massive issues to discuss this week. English clubs in Europe, why are they struggling? Billy Vanapola, why is he falling apart? Eddie Jones' England squad's been announced on Thursday. Who should he pick? And, of course, this is major for those sitting in the stands. What is appropriate for a pre-match meal? To be precise, is one chunk pasty sufficient? To discuss these and other such great existential issues, uh, we have the the good old uh, favourites, uh, Steve Jones and Alex Lowe. Good to see you, boys. Hiya. Hello. Good weekend? I had an excellent weekend. I went to Swansea, which is actually some place, a place I've not been very often. It was very gloomy down there, but um, it was a game that was so bizarre, I think I'll be trying to work out what really happened well into my 90s. So Steve's going to get back to us on that next week. Well, I was in um, Bath on Friday, which is one of the my favourite European performances of all time by Scarlet. Sensational. Alex? Um, you saw I, everything. I went to see the Cribs. In concert in Brighton, which was brilliant. Uh, and then what? Who won? Uh, the Cribs won handsomely. Brilliant, brilliant gig as usual. Uh, but no, in rugby terms, I actually didn't go to a game because of the the way the matches fall fell this weekend for a Monday paper. They're all on Saturday, so better to, to take a step back and and, and watch it. Um, Straight your chin a bit and yeah, give us your wisdom, bit. which I think you did. And then and then have to report on on another injury for Billy Vunipola, sadly, and then um, and a and a craven collapse by. Leicester in, in Castro, which is just um, which was very very poor for a club of their tradition and history to, to wave the white flag in Europe. That was embarrassing, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Was it nice and warm in your lounge, Arthur? Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, they were okay. having a bit of work done, so okay. um, there was a bit, it was a bit drafty. Okay. Can I just explain because there was a bit of an in joke about pasties and that, but we we do have to discuss this. So, uh, Exeter Rugby uh, put out this um, note uh, to the media on Saturday, where um, a bunch of media boys um, and girls turned up to report on the Exeter Montpellier game, and this was the notice. Press food vouchers was the uh, it was entitled due to abuse by some members of the media who have been ordering extra items and additional drinks when going to get food prior to match days. It has been decided by senior management at the club that the voucher you are given by the club will now only be permitted to be used for one chunk pasty. Now this is a terrible day in the history of sports journalism. Personally, 
I wouldn't have the pasty now anyway. I think they should bring in Hugh Fernley Whittingstall, the local <laughs> chef. Uh, where do we go from this? Is, is, there, is it a boycott? Well, I've only ever used it for one chunk pasty. But you like the hog roast, don't you, Slossy? I do. I, well, I, I did have the hog roast, but I'm, I'm sure I won't be seeing it at Sandy Park again. The, the, there's been a bit of a witch hunt as to who is the member of the media who's been ordering extra items. Well, but, but, I, mean, I think, you know, we, we're all friends here, but you were in the frame by your anonymous Twitter, Twitter. I mean, if you've got anything to tell us... Well, uh, yes, it's an awkward situation. This I was named and shamed, <laughs> and I and I had a very uncomfortable uh, time yesterday trying to wash my hands of that crime. But um, no, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Uh, the, the thing, the thing is, what what is very insulting is first, first of all, it's not just a pie we're talking about here because there were two other options. You could have a bread roll with pulled pork in it, or the vegetarian option, which was a bread roll without. So there were three options. They now gone down to one. If you don't like pies or a vegetarian, it's pretty poor. But actually, I'll tell you something. You know, the Ospreys at um, Liberty Stadium, we had a three-course meal. It was absolutely splendid. There was a veg- vegetarian option, which was a hot dog with just onions but no but no sausage but the food there was absolutely magnificent and for the english champions to to demean us so badly and to cast such aspersions on the whole global um brotherhood of rugby writers and sisterhood is is disgraceful and it's 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 ill befits the champions to act like that well i agree Uh, i i've actually um had uh, sent to me the uh the the menu if you if you cover a test match edgebaston goes like this 9 till 11 a.m breakfast so you can have a two-hour breakfast then 12 30 to 2 30 lunch vouchers needed in brackets 345 treats treats do we don't get a treat treat five o'clock afternoon tea and eight o'clock hot snacks so basically you're you're consuming all day long but it's not as if we've not done the, the odd favour for Exeter Chiefs. It's like 10 years of wall-to-wall blanket um, coverage, which to them cost not one penny. But there we are. Let's not be churlish. Well, the word on the street is they might be docked European points for this. Well, I know that European rugby cup are looking into it. And, um, you know, I, with God, God bless Exeter, it's a shame we'll never be going there again. Alex, but, do, you think, uh, do you think docking points would be excessive at this stage? Well, Simon Halliday did just call me before we came on air, and I think it's second only to... Their investigation into Murad Bujalal's latest bonkers claims about the uh, the Mormon clans of, in EPCR, who uh, who who preach ethics, but <laughs> but behind the scenes go around whipping each other. Uh, I think Pygate Exeter is second only to that in there. But, uh, but also, I think Rob Baxter and Tony Rowe are now the Bujalals of uh, English <laughs> rugby. Bujalal gives you a ham and cheese sandwich, though, doesn't he? Oh, yes. And bless him. Absolutely. And a, it's, a, it's a banquet on the on, over in uh, Toulon. And uh, th- there we go. I mean, I'm still, I'm still absolutely gutted about it, and um, I will miss going to going to Sandy Park because it was a, a great venue and a great lunch. Right. Well, on that bombshell, we are now going to discuss some some other le- less important issues. If you're uh, still with us. Extra pasties aside, there was some other stuff going on in, in European rugby this weekend. Do we think that was one of the great weekends? What's your overriding impression? Great weekend or a terrible weekend for England English teams in, in Europe? Well, it was a poor weekend for English teams, but it was a great weekend of, of rugby, particularly Saturday. Some, uh, I mean, Scarlet's on Friday night 
kicked it off with just a sensational display of, of attacking rugby. And then there were some superb games on, on Saturday. I thought Sunday was, uh, apart from the Racing Monster game, it was a bit flat. I mean, Le- Leicester have already mentioned were, were just embarrassing and, and, and let themselves down. I, th- I, I think when they relaunched the European Cup, the English clubs had a view on what it was going to be be like. I don't think, it ha- I don't think it's quite delivered every year in the, in the way they wanted in the group stages. But I think this time round, um, there's been some, some great games, particularly this weekend. As, as usual in this, the shadowy French are holding the strings behind the scenes of uh, organisation. And uh, when that happens, everything's a disaster. But uh, I think that uh, one of the things that's made slightly diminish it is that Saracens and, and Claremont have been so outstanding. This weekend, like uh, Alex, I, I thought that um, the teams at the bottom uh, who can't qualify, it's up to them to, to maintain the sanctity of the tournament, which Northampton... And Harlequins, as ever, did. They had no chance of qualifying. Leicester, for a pro t- a club like that to go with a second team and, and lose, I thought was shocking. And we were all keen on player welfare. And any competition that was really strict and well run would have an inquest into it. Because now racing uh, this week will be, f- be up against a strong Leicester side. And they'll say, well, hang on, what, what, you know, we were in, all our opponents should have fa- faced this team as well. Uh, it was a bizarre, I don't think it was a great weekend, I think it was a bizarre weekend, and I'll never work out, as I said, what on earth happened to Saracens, because the Ospreys weren't very good, and Saracens should have put them away by half-time. I'll never work out what happened to Wasps, because they're not the sort of side to, to collapse as they did. So, all great fun, great, great some great action, some really, really poor games, Saracens and Ospreys for one, but uh, it kept uh, interest boiling. When when the English clubs have done as poorly as they have done, there there are inquests whether we like it or not because that's just the way the media works. We want to find out why and ask ourselves the questions and what what is the meaning of all this. Do do you do we think that there is a a, a grander story behind this? Not grander, but is is there a story behind this beyond? just a lot of big English teams having a really poor run? Yeah, of course there is because um, the, the story lies in the weakness of the Pro 14 because now um, Leinster and Munster have been doing this for a long time That they, they, their players as, as a team never appear between European Cup games because they know that they'll easily qualify for the next one in the Pro 14 and uh, I think the Ospreys are on their way as well and, and um, one of the things is because the Pro 14 is relatively weaker compared to the Premiership the Premiership is flat out, eyeballs out every weekend, and Europe, when it comes along, is just another game. I think there's another element to that as well, which is the the salary cap in the Premiership and the the, the recent spike in, in player salaries at the top end has meant that I, th- I think there are smaller squads. The depth isn't there in some of these Premiership teams, so when they lose players, they're not bringing in the same quality of backup as they have been in the past because they can't they can't make the jigsaw fit under the 7 million salary cap when they're paying the top payers more. This is just the ludicrous thing about the salary cap, isn't it? So they put the salary cap up to try and allow them to compete with the French clubs primarily, mm. but as you say, they just end up paying the players so much more that actually squad numbers have gone down. So yeah, exactly. they're hurting themselves. So English clubs are struggling in Europe at the moment. The the absolute kings of the competition right now are Ireland. Uh, the uh, Leinster are the, the only team that has so far qualified. Munster looking in a very strong shape. Ulster probably will go through as well. And uh, to talk to us about this, we have, I don't know, gloating from Dublin? Anyway, from our Dublin studio, we have uh, one of the podcast favourites, Peter O'Reilly. How are you, Pete? 
I'm well, thanks, Owen. Hi, guys. How are you? Hello, Peter. Hello. How pleased generally uh, is is Irish rugby with uh, with the state of play in Europe at the moment? You do well at this stage in Europe, then you go into the Six Nations with your tails up. Yeah, there is a bit of a, an upswing effect, I suppose. Uh, you know, rugby fans in Ireland have always been enchanted by what was the Heineken Cup, what's now the Champions Cup, and um, the first year of the Champions Cup when in, when none of the provinces uh, or all of the provinces failed to make it through to the knockout stages, it was. There was talk of Armageddon over here, but um, things have uh, swung back the other way. Um, I suppose it's always been seen as as the most important competition for the provinces, um, and that means there's a there's a problem with the quality and the commercial uh, capabilities of the Pro 14. That's something they're still trying, they're still looking at. But it means that there's very much, um, I suppose. Uh, uh, a priority list where you have international rugby at the top and then next comes Europe and these games are seen almost as many test matches and yes there's um, there's an, an element of uh, bringing us into the Six Nations uh, on an upswing and uh, but also I think there's, there's, there's great excitement because there are so many new players coming through and, and, and putting their hands up for selection for Ireland as well so there's a depth across the board which, which we haven't had before uh, and that makes everybody excited. Do Do you think the that uh, the, the whinging from from the little Englanders in a, in our London studio about the fact that it's unfair that because the the Premiership is uh, is is all guns blazing week in week out and the, the preparation for no, us? No one said versus- it's unfair. You just said what it, it's what it is. No one said it's unfair. Okay, unfair is the wrong word, but the, the, the parity is 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 what what we're missing here. Well, isn't there, isn't there talk of, uh, of scrapping relegation in the Premiership? Because obviously the the Premiership teams are, are under severe pressure to keep hitting hitting certain standards week in week out. Whereas, yeah, our, the the provinces definitely are able to prioritise these games, and and that that isn't uh, that isn't parity. That is, uh, I suppose, a, a type of uh, inequality, if you like. But that's. That, we don't see that as our problem, though. We see that as, um, <laughs> I suppose, I suppose the attitude over here, which would be fairly small-minded and short-sighted, is well, listen, the, the Premiership wanted to rearrange Europe a couple of years ago. They got what they want in terms of meritocracy and the, the, the divvy out of the, of the funds and and, uh, and all that sort of thing. So we, you know, don't start complaining now. But I suppose we can understand the situation from from a club owner's point of view in England that that um, they tend to think about the Champions Cup games when the Champions Cup games come up, whereas the Leo Cullens and the Johan van Grans and these guys are thinking about Europe from a couple of weeks out. You know, they're doing their prep even while they're playing in the in the Guinness Pro 14. You, Pete, you, you are completely right that, um, that, that English club owners did try to redesign Europe to make it better for them, and it hasn't worked, and, and there, there is some amusement to be had at that. I was completely wrong. I think that... It's just sport. There's no, there isn't. We've we've just said there's an advantage to uh, to the Irish teams. Well, actually, when Peter's uh, Armageddon took place, everyone said, "Oh, there's an advantage to the, to the English teams." It's just a wheel of fortune. It all comes round, and actually, um, you know, the only danger to uh, the Irish, uh, the three Irish teams this year, to me, seems as if they knock, you know, they're drawn to knock each other out in the semi-final or something like that. Because I think they're, they're, they're way above it. Their passion for it is amazing. And also, you take Munster on paper, not a great side. They have um, their passion for it and their almost animal instincts for it have 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 
extended beyond the end of the O'Gara, O'Connell, David Wallace, Anthony mm. Foley era, and they, they they're just still batting above their um, weight. So look, it's it just happens. If you look at, at Lenstrom Munster in particular, though, I mean, c- can you give us a, a frame of comparison? Do you think these are particularly good? Uh, teams at the moment uh, comparatively to, to previous years or I mean, it seems to me that the, the Leinster team right now is is really uh, really purring Leinster I think they felt that they missed an opportunity last year getting to getting to a semi-final in Lyon against Clermont and, and not winning it they also have new attacking threats which they didn't necessarily have this time last year through Larmer but especially through James Lowe um and they have competition for places, which is, you know, it means that everybody is actually looking over their shoulder. Um, so they have what we used to have, or our Irish teams used to have, which was, uh, if you like, th- a squad of 30 players, all of whom can contribute. So I would say Leinster are justifiable favourites to win it. And they, they, they're, they're playing at a time when um, some of their biggest uh, opponents or, or rivals have dipped. I'd say they're still they're still worried about the possibility of having to play Saracens in April when Saracens may have qualified and may have got their mojo back. That's their their biggest worry, I would say, at this stage. I agree with everything that Peter said there, especially the thing about happy and hard nosed. I mean, um, on on Saturday, um, um, well done, Pete, because he's not been agreeing with me today. The, the Ospreys <laughs> uh, the Ospreys had a penalty to draw the match. We don't we don't know whether that draw will be any good to them. They but they could have kicked to the corner where their forwards had got on top and gone for the try, which would have given them the pool and the home tie. And sometimes you've got to be more far sighted than just said, "Oh, great lads, we drew the game." Mm. Um, so um, it's it, and I also agree that it's the it's the new wave of French clubs at the top who haven't got that hard nosed um, edge about them. You know, Munster. You you look at Munster and all they haven't lost many games. All the ones they have lost, they always sneak in with a bonus point or something like that, or they or maybe even score four tries and lose. So there is a lot more to Europe than just going out there and bashing your head against someone else. Pete, last thing. This has sort of becoming the weekly Jordan Larmor conversation, um, or, or in this uh, on this podcast at least. So, um, uh, just give us your view on 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 Jordan, and would you have him playing Six Nations rugby next month? Yes, I would have him involved. Same time, I wouldn't necessarily be that surprised if he doesn't start in Montpellier this weekend. If, if Rob Carney starts for an away game like that, where you um, he will be introduced here and there by both by Leinster and and by Joe Schmidt. Uh, I can see him being a bench option maybe for the second Six Nations game against Italy. Ireland are so structured that it's almost like a new player coming in has to be formatted like a disc. He has to be um, uh, get the Joe Schmidt treatment. Um, and, and, And Larmer hasn't been involved in the last couple of camps or tours but by the same token you can't you, you can't not use an attacking weapon like that uh, I think he, he is some, something a bit different uh, from talking to some of the senior Leinster players as well he is rugby smart he is uh, he's tough he's got a bit of a dog about him um, apart from all of the obvious athletic attributes that he has so yeah this huge excitement uh, you know uh, uh, I'd I think it's fair to say that not since O'Driscoll came through has there been so much chat about somebody. And I think wow. uh, normally people would worry about that. People in charge of players would worry about that. But from what I hear, Leinstrand Ireland are, are happy that Larmer is the sort of kid who can handle that sort of chat. But Pete, just, we, we started the conversation and you were saying there's a 
it gives Ireland a build up into the six uh, Irish teams a build up and, and into six nations. We see in, in in Wales the great hysteria. Reese Webb won't be available for them once he moves to Toulon. Ireland have been very successful in keeping Omani, uh, Tyg Furlong uh, on on new deals recently. Zebo mm-hmm. is obviously off. But when you see the way Donald Ryan played at the weekend, knowing that he is unavailable for Ireland, is is there the same kind of regret or, or clamour? For, for, to be able to pick players from outside Ireland or when you have someone like James Ryan coming through it kind of offsets that it's a position by position situation Alex I, th- I think um, I think they did they didn't they weren't very clever in, in allowing Donica Ryan to go I think they didn't believe that he would uh, that he would go to France and he called their bluff uh, because second row was one area where Joe Schmidt can't really handle a couple of injuries I didn't. I never saw Peter O'Mahony leaving. I think O'Mahony and CJ Stander benefited from the timing of Zebo's departure. Uh, probably helped them to get to get a few extra bob in their next contract. But uh, Peter O'Mahony wouldn't. As I think I said on the show before, he, you know, he wouldn't last very long in France playing week to week. He has to be minded just the way he plays the game. They try to make sure that they manage the uh, the number of, of departures, and they do that pretty well. And part of the reason is. Is that, is that Joe Schmidt is at the helm and there's a sense of excitement that something could be achieved, something a bit different could be achieved at the next World Cup. How they maintain that down the line is going to be very difficult because if they keep on producing, if Irish rugby keeps on producing talent like it is at the moment, there just won't be enough spaces for everybody. Um, so down, I think maybe in a few years' time, uh, there may be a few, few more people going abroad, but for the time being, it's a kind of a delicate ecosystem that they're holding together and uh, Ireland the national team should should benefit accordingly. Connacht are all, all um, going like a bomb in the, uh, the secondary competition. Would there be any way that um, they consider just creating another proper level by funding them up in Connacht's funding and saying, right, no, 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 we are four? That's a good point, yeah. When you think that not that long that they were thinking of cutting Connacht adrift because uh, the numbers didn't add up. Connacht need, need to, to sort out their stadium uh, it doesn't look like a team that you know, plays in the Champions Cup or, or a team that won the, the, Pro, the Pro 12 a couple of years ago. So they are always looking for more funding. Mm. And um, rather than bringing in uh, Irish qualified players or project players from abroad, what they need to do is start getting the, the surplus Leinster players to play in the in the provinces where they are needed, you know, yeah. in the positions in the provinces where they are needed. And I think that's the way the IRFE would like to do it rather than to try and set up a, a new franchise through the, the Exiles teams or anything like that I think and, and Connacht is a, is a natural solution to that problem as mm. you say Excellent well listen from, from our from our Dublin studios Pete thanks very much Take care, you Pete. Cheers guys You're listening to The Ruck we're back after this When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to The Ruck. Do, do we think England's going to get... Uh, more than one club through it could get if if um, Exeter don't beat Glasgow away uh, which they probably should do because Glasgow are out of it if Exeter don't win that um, then we there's a, a good chance that England will get zero clubs through Exeter will probably win, will win that and will be the one to go through uh, with Lencer from pool three and then, then you're sort of scratching heads about mm. how the maths works for Saracens um, possibly and Bath possibly as well uh, yeah, so I think I think you're looking at those three: Exeter, Bath, and and Saracens. Exeter and, the, and are the best placed English club to go through, and then you'd imagine Bath would win at Benetton, and it just requires the result to go right for them. And Saracens, it's interesting what what Pete was just saying about the Irish the Irish teams in Europe and and how they can prioritise. Saracens, to a degree, do that. They 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 call their European week selection matches, and everything else is a, is based on rotation, pretty much. I mean, they had horrible injuries at the weekend, and they just haven't haven't clicked this season and that they don't seem to have the aura of of previous seasons about them and, and it's it it's an oddity really but you know I suppose when you lose Billy Vunipola Michael Rose and Jackson Ray all before half time in a game it's That's not, not going to help I, th- I think going that you know you've got Wasps Saracens and Bath who have a, a, a kind of um, a fighting chance though probably not not even a 50-50 chance mm. then Exeter should if they win at least Exeter can say look if we go out boldly and win and win this well well we should be okay but um, then you look at it again and say, well, Saracens have got to come back from a real blow. Uh, Wasps have just got absolutely no resources left who, who are fit. And, and Bath, who knows how they're going to pull up after, after getting thrashed. So, you know, it's, it's entirely possible there'll be none. I think probably the English qualifiers will either be one or possibly two. Tie of the final round has to be Scarlets against Toulon, though. I mean, that is an absolute belter, yeah. isn't it? That's kind of it's it's it's, it's winner take all for Scarlets probably, and uh, I've already said how much I enjoy uh, seeing the Scarlets on Friday night. Um, on that subject, favourite European top European performances that, that you've seen in in recent years? The, the second half of of Leinster's Heineken Cup final against Northampton when they were were dead and buried, and, and John the Sexton that day in twenty eleven. John the Sexton that day. Kind of showed the player he was going to become. He, he him with with O'Driscoll, but he, he he grabbed the team at half time and delivered a. I mean, him talking afterwards about the the Liverpool comeback in in Istanbul, and he used that as a uh, as an example of what Leinster could go out and achieve. And that second half was remarkable. The other one that comes to mind is is Wasps' performance against Munster in that incredible semi final over at, at the Old Lansdowne Road, about over a decade ago now. But those were the two that immediately come to mind. The Wasps run was, was sensational. People forget they had to win away at Perpignan when Perpignan were absolutely savagely good. But the, the, the one, the best performance I've ever seen, one-off performance, is unquestionably last year's final because Saracens were up against a great team in Claremont. They were a great team then. Saracens won easily and disdainfully by playing, beating them up up front, but also playing great rugby behind the scrum as well. That, that, was, that was the day when anyone who says that Test rugby is always better than club rugby. Had to shut up for good. 
Before we even get to next weekend's Europe, we have a major announcement during the week. On Thursday, Eddie Jones announces his squad, his England squad for the Six Nations. Pretty interesting times at the moment because of the uh, very, very disappointing news that Billy Vinopola has broken a, uh, a bone in his forearm. So we don't know how long he's going to be out for, but we can presume that he'll miss the first round or two, I would say, at, at minimum. England uh, don't have uh, Nathan Hughes there as a backup either. So the back row is the area of interest or, or, or the area of problem for, for Eddie Jones. W- what should he be doing? Um, he's, he's, sh- he's short of ball carriers. That's his big issue now. Short of Ballard, short of, of anyone who can who can thrust them over the, over the gain line. Um, he, he ended the autumn by playing Rob Shaw at open side. I think I think to pick, to England play Italy first up, and my back row for that game would have Zach Mercer at number eight because he's he's been an apprentice in that squad for a year or so. He's athletic, powerful. No, none of the options are anywhere near as big or physical as Billy Vunapola or, or Nathan Hughes. Sam Simmons gives up five stone. I think Zach Mercer gives up four, but he's just a different type of player. And for the Italy game, I'd be tempted to to have um, to have Chris Robshaw at, at six. Uh, and Zach Mercer at eight, and then depending on how he comes through, Sam Underhill at, at seven. Although he looked a bit rusty, having come back from eight weeks out. As you get deeper into the tournament, um, there's a real, there's a very strong argument to have Courtney Laws back at, at six, and then, and then it depends on on how Sam Simmons um, is going. Because Eddie Jones was was very taken by him uh, in the autumn. He's 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 made a, a lot of strides very quickly, um, but he's he's not sure whether he's really a number eight, which is which is the big area that. That England are lacking because if you have, I think if you have Simmons at eight, you just don't have anyone who can drive them over the gain line other than um, than Mako really, uh, and, and then and then Marrow and, and, and probably Laws in, in, the, in the second row. You're, you're short of you're short of ballast. So I think I'd, I'd, I'd be tempted to give Zach Mercer a go because he's been around the squad for, for quite a while now. He's doing good things and, and um, it's, certainly gets Italy a good chance. I, I, I don't disagree with Zach, Zach Mercer. I think he was the only one who held his head high, Alex, on um, on Friday, but. Um, I think that uh, they've got to get Launchbury back for for Launchbury's competitiveness in the breakdown. I think that um, a a second row of Atoji, who is a good breakdown forward, and and, um, Courtney Laws is is too willowy. I would would start definitely Courtney Laws at, at number six. Um, because uh, you've still got the line-out option, then you've got a bit more of a powerful scrummage uh, to sort of to save uh, Courtney's shoulder. If they don't go Courtney there, I would absolutely, without any shadow of a doubt, play Don Armand there. It was the outstanding player for me in English rugby in the season so far. Um, Sam Simmons, I think, must come into consideration. I think probably. Um, um, uh, and Hill's really got got it all to do. Um, so. Um, I certainly have Haskell in the mix providing he's not suspended and Sam Simmons because he's got a bit of electricity there but it is incredibly difficult area who do you have Sotty? I, w- I was really enjoying the, the emergence of Sam Underhill I mean three months ago but that that got stopped in his tracks with that with the uh, concussion and, and the eight weeks out, and and he didn't he didn't look uh, where well, on, on Friday he looked like someone who hadn't played for eight weeks not not surprising so I, I think England Eddie's been trying to play with that seven position for a long time now uh, Haskell I'd be amazed if he's around for the first two games mm. and and he hasn't well he hasn't been the Haskell of two years ago for for quite a long time uh, so I I, th- I think that that is a problem I. 
I think you have to have um, a Laws or, a, or an Atoje at six because we're, we're lacking the ballast that, that um, Alex mentions. I, I agree with you on Don Armand. I think Don Armand's ahead of uh, Chris Robshaw and, and, and needs to have a go. I, I think you've got, to, you've got to try him now because we're, we're sort of getting to the stage where if you're going to bring players through for the for World Cups, then campaigns, we're running out of campaigns. So have I answered any questions there? I've well, that's talked about why everyone. I think now's the time, particularly for, for, the, for this league game where they've got a two-week build-up to it, now, now's the time to play that Mercer. I think as you get into the teeth of the tournament, England need to go with three locks in the team because I completely agree with Jonesy. Launchbury has to play, Toji has to play and Laws has to play. And um, I'd have Laws at, as you get into it, Laws at six. And then you can balance out the best option at, at seven, um, knowing that if, if, if that Mercer goes well against Italy... Um, you, you can keep him there or, or you can reshuffle but you've got to have I think now's the time to, to try these guys and, and you know Marcus Smith is, is another I don't imagine he'll start I, in fact I don't imagine he'll play at all but um, he's he's there and he's there for a reason and the reason is the World Cup and at some point these guys are going to I'm just play. not quite sure convinced by, by Mercer I think he's a phenomenally talented uh, player I think in five years time he might be brilliant but at the moment he, he doesn't he, he doesn't have the, the weight or the carry of a Billy or a, or a Nathan Hughes uh, he, he's extremely athletic but on Friday yes he, he was the one fighting at the end but he was also the one who gave up too many ludicrous offloads and that which helped the Scarlets um, keep the momentum and keep, keep the, the uh, foot on the throat so I, I don't think he's Ready. I think Eddie's got quite a job to do there, and mm. it, it it actually helps him. He starts with Italy, and he's sort of going through the gears in the Six Nations. He start with Italy, move on to move on to Wales, and then he's got Scotland, and then the France, France and Ireland at the end. It sort of helps him in that in that respect. Yeah. I've been thinking all season. Well, actually, Ireland a second favourites to win the championship. I think now they can win at Twickenham. I think if you're gauging it now, and if they played this week, they they'd win at Twickenham. And also, I think that. Eddie doesn't seem to like uh, people who are written up in the media, but uh, <laughs> I think some of us should continue <laughs> mm. to hold up alternative selections just to see how they fare. And I mean things like Mercer, if he's not in, Ollie Woodburn, astonishing finisher, Alex Good is playing as well as ever, the only Saracen, Don Armand, uh, Robson at um, Watson. I'll give you one more who's no longer spoken about, Christian Wade who was discarded from all consideration because he was too small and not physical enough, has become one of the best defenders and one of the best men in contact. He seems to have transformed his body shape as Shane Williams did, and I think it's a time that he got a shot as well. So uh, they may be media favourites, but they'll continue to be so, and we'll hold them up and compare them with Eddie's selection. And finally, we just want to discuss the new arrival at Wasps. Uh, the all-black player, Lima Sopoango, Wasps announced on their website today that uh, they had signed, made this great signing, uh, when in fact the news had been broken by who, Alex? Um, you, Slotty. Thank you. And how long yeah, ago was you, that? You, Slotty. Well done. Five days ago. <laughs> yeah. A week ago. Yeah. Well, you know, these things happen. Yeah. Uh, it's a real statement signing, though, for two reasons. It's massive for Wasps, and it probably says goodbye to Cipriani. And the other thing is... It just further undermines all black rugby and their ability to hold on to players. I, I'm pleased about that, and also I'm looking forward to seeing <laughs> Subwanga play. I think, it, it, uh, look, the first, uh, until whether he's a success or a failure, for the first four or five home Moss games, everyone's going to go and watch him. You could tell from the, uh, the, the scripted comments from Steve Hansen um, when New Zealand confirmed he was leaving, how disappointed they were, because in the last... Well, since the World Cup, they've lost... They've got uh, Bone Barrow as their number one. They've lost Aaron Cruden, Liam Sopawanga and Colin Slade. 
each of them at the time were, were was the backup um and and it's that second tier of all blacks which steve hansen has spoken about before where he's every time he develops one they get picked off by an english club and he has to develop another one now they're not they're not short of of players but um it, it certainly harms their development you can see how disappointed they were to lose him you could pick a, an All Blacks team in Europe that would contest a World Cup final, I would say. Hmm. And also a, a Fijian team that, that would probably do the same. Oh, I'd no, love no, to watch right. that. I don't think mass migration of players is good, whether it's to New Zealand or away. But look, Sopwanger, that's someone you go and watch. OK, that's all for now, gents. Thanks very much, Steve. Thanks very much, Alex. Uh, we go into the final weekend of Europe. It has been an outstanding weekend of competition in Europe. And... The, uh, fight, the, the, the final weekend of the knockout rounds uh, is set to be outstanding. So, so go watch, uh, turn on uh, in your living rooms. Uh, th- this is a, a very good time for European rugby. We'll be back to discuss it next week. See you then. 